This is Liz Carabello with Synchrony, and if you want to learn how to go all in on your business, then you should be listening to Breaking Business Barriers with my good friends, Brent, Joseph, and Brandon. Welcome to Breaking Business Barriers, where we believe that choosing to go all in is the only way to create true freedom in your business and life. Now join your hosts, Brent Duhame, Dr. Joseph Kay, and Brandon Straza, as they talk to industry leaders, veteran CEOs, and cutting-edge entrepreneurs about the tough decisions they made on their way to success. This is Breaking Business Barriers. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Business Barriers. I am your co-host, Brandon Straza, the Real Naked Agent, along with Dr. Joseph K. And Brent Duhane. We have a really special guest all the way from the East Coast, Liz Carabello with Synchrony. Liz, hey, we really appreciate you taking the time as I know you're a busy person, but real quick, so our listeners out there can find you, what is the best social media platform if they want to reach out and they have any questions for you? LinkedIn for sure. LinkedIn. I tell you what, BD, that's been a super popular one. Uh, the more that I, I keep coming back to that, the entrepreneurs, the business professionals, they're all over LinkedIn. Liz, why is that your preferred method of uh, social media, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, for, from a professional perspective, I've been making amazing connections um, in each type of role that I've ever had. Uh, the types of connections that I've made have been instrumental. And it's my way of trying to track to all the various connections from the various uh, interactions, conferences, and meetings that I've uh, been to. So messaging there is a great uh, way for me to stay connected on a pro professional level, which is completely separate from my personal social media. So it's a great way to kind of just protect my professional profile. Awesome. And then from there, give our users one useful tip on how you're really benefiting from using LinkedIn, if you wouldn't mind. Be responsive. So if someone reaches out, whether it is something that you're interested in or not interested in, I would say respond accordingly. I uh, just recently had a recruiter reach out to me for a particular role that I'm not interested in, but I love making connections. Uh, for me, it's good karma, right? One day I may need it and I want to make sure that I have enough chips in the bank that I can collect. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, even if it's a sales, uh, you know, outreach, I let them know this is not something I'm in the market for right now, but I think being responsive is key. All right. I'll be honest with you. I need to take a, take advice from that right there and call myself out first and foremost. I get a lot of what I would call spam through there, mm -hmm. but they are people that are on LinkedIn and they are taking the time to do it. So I'm going to take one out of your page or the book and say, starting today, I need to start replying to the people that reach out to me. BD, how, how do you really react to something like that, that Liz just said? Oh, that's for sure. It's, it's, genuine communication and in some of the other social medias there are bots out there that are pushing out nonsense stuff and, and you can really tell in linkedin it's genuine so i've got a question for you liz when did you start to engage linkedin and did you take any any classes with it? did you kind of feel your way around with it how did you uh, get engaged yeah many years ago uh with a limited profile which has certainly expanded since then um, you know, and even LinkedIn has kind of expanded in terms of uh, their uh, capabilities. I love the, the kudos where individuals can give kudos to a particular leader or someone who has influenced them. I love the, um, you know, the, just 
the endorsements that are, um, you know, you can endorse, you know, fellow colleagues and so forth. I think that all adds value to just your simple profile in terms of the, the history, your job history. Uh, and it's much more interactive uh, these days. Uh, I find myself using it more like I would my personal Facebook page anymore, but I do keep it very professional. Uh, it does surprise me when, when I see folks kind of confusing LinkedIn between or Facebook, and uh, that kind of turns me off a little bit, but I think used correctly, it's very, very powerful. Uh, and you know, there are times in your career where you may want to turn on the recruitment feature versus not. And uh, that I think too, when you, when you do turn it on, you start to see a lot more uh, outreach in terms of opportunities that are out there. Uh, so I use it to every once in a while kind of pulse what's, what types of roles are in the particular market that I'm in and are they in alignment with maybe something that would catch my attention. Uh, but mostly I, I use it to stay connected with former and current colleagues. Uh, recently, I have used it for uh, UCF as a local university that I'm trying to do a lot with in terms of uh, presenting opportunities to Hispanic uh, students in particular through the Alpha organization. And so I'm finding that a lot of students are now trying to connect with me, which is great. This means I can uh, recruit young talent into the company and, and by just staying connected and mentoring them and providing guidance through messaging and so forth. So that is kind of the more recent use for me in particular. I love that, Liz. And let's dive into that part about recruitment and what you're doing right now. We might do a little rewind on there. But right now, <clears throat> you're involved in getting your, uh, your, your master's in human resources. And there's a story behind that one at Villanova. But you mentioned UCF, which Joseph probably knows a little bit more about um, with where your location is. You oversee around 300 people. Is that right? Uh, actually, I oversee 800 people here in Altamont Springs and another uh, 300 in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And the majority of the talent that uh, are in both of my organizations are Hispanic talent. And uh, it's, uh, it's an honor uh, for me to lead such a big organization. Uh, I have spent the last 14 years of my career really focusing on the Hispanic uh, network here is one of our employee resource groups at Synchrony. And I have held many different positions and now I'm the leader of the network. So we have about a little over a thousand members of the Hispanic network, uh, which really involves making sure that we're giving as much development opportunities as we can to grow the Hispanic talent within Synchrony, but also recruiting. And so that's where the UCF connection comes in. Once I moved here, a uh, little less than a year ago, I made that connection with UCF by just extending um, you know, myself and talent here at the Altima office just to help them uh, in terms of career navigation. And in that process, we can influence them to consider synchrony as an, as an option for, for their career. Um, and there's an organization called Alpha that we also leverage to, to make those connections uh, with universities, like University of Puerto Rico and uh, other universities in the US that have a higher concentration of Hispanic talent. So our goal is to attract early career Hispanic talent and to also attract into the company mid-level career while at the same time developing the talent that we already have here at Synchrony. I had noticed in your, uh, you had sent over a little biography earlier that 
One of the things you had mentioned was that you're really focused on leadership in diversity and what that means. Yeah. And I've always been really interested in leadership and kind of fascinated by the different way people uh, define leadership. But what is that? I guess it's a two part question. What does leadership mean to you? And what does that mean specific to diversity? Like what, what are the actions one would uh, perform that would evidence that type of leadership? So to me, leadership is uh, about making sure that we're providing every opportunity for uh, talent to, to, to grow within the company, uh, to take risks, to raise their hand for critical experiences, to not shy away from what we need in the talent that is going to propel the company uh, forward. And we can come from a place of, you know, hey, authority, right? This is what we need you to do. Go do it or we can come from a place of influence. To me, leadership is about influence. Uh, when I think about the leaders that I want to run through fire for, it's because right. they have some form of influence that to me is positive. And for me, what I react to is authentic, genuine people who care. And that's right. the type of leader that I'm going to uh, run through fire for. And so when I think about my own leadership style, uh, you know, I've had great leaders, I've had some not so great leaders in my career. and but I learned from all of them right and for the ones that weren't so great I learned what I certainly didn't want to be like and if I never find myself even remotely acting that way uh, I catch myself and say no that's not the type of leader that I want to be the type of leader I want to be is authentic genuine caring and investing in people Without, I mean, obviously without dropping names, but could you give an example of that? Have you ever found yourself tempted to lead in one way and then have caught yourself and said, no, I want to lead in this other way? Absolutely. I, so I have a nickname here at the office and <laughs> okay. it's Liz Biz, right? Oh, sure. So when Liz Biz shows up, it's like, I got to get things done. I want to start to, you know, I go right into what it is that I need to get done. And I want to make sure that people are on board and that everyone knows what they need to do. Uh, so when I see myself going into that, I have to kind of pause, you know, and I want to make sure that I'm also the type of leader who is appreciative of every role of, that everyone plays in the process. And so I think it's important, even with emails, for example, hey, I need the, the you know, following things done. I kind of have to go back and rewrite it and say, good morning, hope your day is off to a great start, and here are some things that I need to get done, and here's when I need it done, right? So it's that difference of, um, you know, where, where you're coming from and, and how you approach uh, the, the interactions. Sure, sure. Ah. How, how do you view that moving into diversity? How, what are the things you do to sort of uh, exhibit that leadership and moves towards building more diversity in organizations? So the diversity part, why is that important to me? I'm a Hispanic female in a male, white male dominated world, sure. right? Financial services. And there have been plenty of times in my career where I felt like maybe I didn't have everything that it took to be successful or everything that it, uh, that others, that I perceived others had. I didn't have your traditional college experience um, I, you know, went to college part-time and started working full-time in this industry. Um, now, hindsight's 2020, but I, that was probably better, a better experience than having gone straight to college and um, because I started to build my career and I graduated debt-free. So I took full advantage of tuition reimbursement, which is an amazing benefit that, uh, you know, many 
uh, companies offer that too many students do not even realize or oh, take. Oh yeah, I got I got my doctorate tuition free, awesome. bachelor's, master's, and doctorate. It's crazy. So being a Hispanic female in this industry, uh, I was never not conscious of the fact that diversity mattered. Uh, but now I think my uh, consciousness about diversity is so different from, from maybe where, where I started. For me, diversity re is represented in every single human being that walks in the door, whether it's uh, you know, your, your upbringing, uh, where you were uh, brought up, whether it was in this country, outside of this country, your educational background, uh, your ethnicity, your gender, your race, your LGBT status, uh, whether you were a veteran. Uh, so diversity is about making sure that we're pulling out that different way of thinking and ideas from everyone. Now, let's just, let's face it, the reality is that there are minority uh, individuals that are in this industry that maybe not have had, not, they haven't had the, the same opportunities that have been afforded to others and so I'm kind of the champion of the underdog and I want to make sure everybody has an opportunity but at the end of the day it is always about meritocracy he or she who deserves the opportunity is the person who should get the job right or get the critical experience or whatever is at stake uh, my job is to help bring out the best in in all of the talent and to me I don't care if that's pink blue or purple uh, but uh, diversity is just some, a passion of mine, and it actually ties into uh, a dream job that I have that I am committed to achieving and, and getting at some point in my career, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great. Brent's uh, major background is banking. BD, <clears throat> anything that you just heard from Liz right there that you saw through your, your 20, 30-year career in the banking world on how that works? Liz, you're growing leaders, and regardless of their position, I really believe whether it's uh, Susie at the front desk or someone in a VP or higher role, they're all leaders in their respective domain. Front desk lady or man is the uh, first appearance, right? First impressions. What would you, or what has been your advice when when someone may be critical of a caring leader, uh, which then can also be confused, and, and maybe what they're saying is you're too soft. What would you, what would you, or what had you told uh, those that you're mentoring? Wow, that's a good question. So we talk a little bit about a lot, actually we talk a lot about the different leadership styles, right? And we have here at Synchrony uh, represented both extroverted and introverted leaders. And then I kind of mm -hmm. call myself the, the extroverted introvert um, somewhere in the middle because because I grew up in this industry, I know when I need to turn it on, but uh, I also know when I need to kind of uh, be uh, more of the, the introverted side of, uh, of who I am. And, you know, leaders come in all shapes and sizes and styles. And what the advice I give is regardless of who is uh, your leader at that point in time, that there's a learning opportunity, that there's a way to uh, work uh, with them to make sure that both parties are getting the best out of each other. And I always say, don't take the job for the leader. And because a great leader, it could be gone tomorrow in another role, right? Take the opportunity for what you believe you're going to get out of it in terms of the hands-on experience and, and uh, what, how that's gonna help navigate your career. 
Um, I think there's probably uh, folks who might say the opposite, take the job for the leader, but my advice is always take the job for what you think you need to get out of it next in your journey and always learn from leaders, whether it's a good lesson or a bad lesson in terms of uh, their styles. Um, but you know, leaders who, who care, uh, whether they're extroverted or introverted or whatever their style is, that authenticity is going to come, come out loud and clear. Uh, I think I can smell an inauthentic leader uh, a million miles away. Those are not the leaders that I tend to navigate towards. Uh, and I assume people, others will, will see that as well. Yeah. Wow. wow that's, uh... Styles come out in challenges. Would you agree with that? So when there's a challenge or an obstacle, um, the true leadership style is laid out right in front of anyone who's within eyeshot. No doubt. No doubt. And so, you know, hey, we're all human, right? And so if I uh, go into Liz Biz or go completely focused, one of the things I will do is I'll circle back and say, hey, guys, the, the, we were under a time crunch and this needed to be delivered. Um, ha had we given, had more time, I may have maybe had had a softer approach, but I'm not the type of leader who's going to not, you know, uh, address it and say, I know that I went full focus mode on you guys, but hey, look, we delivered, right? And we got it done. Uh, and so I think a good leader is going to recognize, you know, their style and, and, and talk to their team about when, when you have to go into that type of mode versus another mode. Uh, but ultimately, I like to influence from a positive space. Wow. I'm I'm floored. I love everything I heard. And I think we could almost spend hours talking about it. My uh, uh, one thing I would point out to you is you should probably start your own podcast talking about leadership. Oh, it is something you can tell that you're genuine, you're super passionate about, and uh, the listeners are going to love to hear and they can learn a lot from it because I just learned a lot from what you just had to say right there. Let's let's rewind a little bit and talk about your career because you are an entrepreneur. You You, you are the the, the, I don't know if the word is antithesis, but you are a true entrepreneur. You've had your own business. I have. And that was something that you and I talked about on what story we wanted to talk about. But talk about your career, where, where you began, and what you were inputting wasn't giving the output that you were looking for because of uh, whether it was um, challenges or internal struggles of not knowing what your true self was. So kind of talk about your career, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So I started in this industry at the age of 18. I went to a small business school in, in Wilmington, Delaware. And what I didn't know was by going to that school that a lot of the credit card companies that were located in Delaware were recruiting from there. And so I started my career as a telemarketing representative. And the irony is that that was in 1989. And now fast forward, I'm leading a call center. But we'll, we'll talk about the space in between as well. So started my career as a telemarketing representative selling credit cards and not shortly thereafter, uh, the director of the telemarketing organization kind of was putting me on special projects and ultimately then took a, an administrative assistant. I think Brent may, made mention to the importance of every role within the organization. And I can tell you that admins hold the keys to the kingdom. And I learned that very early in my career haven't been an admin myself, so had tremendous respect for every level and every role within an organization. So I spent a couple of years as administrative assistant, which I think was great because it allowed me to go to school 
uh, part-time to start to tap into tuition reimbursement um, and really understand kind of the inner workings from an administrative uh, side of the house. From there, I went into an, another administrative assistant role, but within the in-house advertising agency that the company that I was working for, which was MBNA at the time. And I remember this was one of the first uh, bold moves that I made in my career. I was typing up a job description for the creative director that I worked for, and it was for this job called Art Buyer. I had no idea what an art buyer did or what they did. Needless to say, after typing the job description, I handed, to, handed him the perfect typed, because we were still using typewriters then, <laughs> job description. And I said, you don't need to post this. And he said, well, why not? And I said, because I want that job. And he said, great, you have it. Ripped up the job description. He did not make friends with HR because obviously that wasn't the fair thing to do, but that was just the kind of guy he was. And he was like, you know what? If you want it, you have it. And so that was my first role going into from an hourly into an exempt kind of salary opportunity. And it was something that I asked for. So that was my first lesson in, in, in my career. And that is ask for what you really want. And so that was the first example of that. From there, I had a series of other kind of entry-level marketing roles uh, within MBNA and started to uh, grow my career and become a marketing, um, known as marketing expert. And so I've held many, many careers within the marketing function. And in fact, that is why I was recruited to come work for GE. I had a former colleague at MBNA who had made the move from uh, MBNA over to GE Now Synchrony and she recruited me to come over uh, into uh, the company. And that was another amazing time that I, will never happen again in my career, and that was because the timing was um, amazing. MBNA was offering for the very first time in their uh, history a voluntary severance package at the same time I was interviewing for the job at GE. And so needless to say, I took the one-year voluntary severance and I took a job, and two weeks later was starting with a new company. Uh, my ex-husband now did the same exact thing. He was working for MBNA. He came over, got a job offer at GE. So needless to say, that was a year of uh, four salaries that will probably never happen again in my life. Mm -hmm. But it's about timing. It's about taking advantage of the opportunities that are, that are afforded along the way. So I came over to uh, GE, which is now Synchrony. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, but I came over to do something I really, really love, which is building out teams. And uh, we were building out an organization, uh, a center of excellence within uh, GE that was focused on marketing execution. So I was uh, brought in to build out a team of about 20 individuals who would be recruited from uh, other companies and who would be able to establish this marketing COE which still exists today. So great foundation and great opportunity for me to start building talent. Uh, and that, that was a focus of mine, right? From that uh, point in 2005 was, how do I recruit the most diverse organization that I can recruit? And uh, you know, it was just an amazing uh, opportunity. For those yeah. of our, our listeners that don't understand what a center of excellence is or the concept of centers of excellence, can you give like a two sentence Absolutely. So the focus of this particular center of excellence was to uh, ensure that we had a scale in terms of efficiencies and pro the ability to, to produce a lot of the marketing campaigns in the most economical way. 
when that is dispersed uh, amongst various marketing groups, you're not going to get the, the pricing that you can get by having a center of excellence. It also allows you to build expertise. And so that was why I was recruited because I had expertise on marketing execution. And so doing that in a center of excellence gives you the opportunity to save, in our case, millions of dollars and to become as efficient as you can be versus having that work distributed amongst various uh, teams across the country. Right. It's like a small think tank or a tactical unit, something exactly. to that. Exactly, with, with the expertise. And it allows the, mar the rest of the marketing organization, in our case, to focus on the strategy and the planning, while the COE focus on the execution of, of those ideas and those campaigns. Cool. So about a year and a half or 18 months into that role, I uh, subscribed to the hype of, at that point in time, people would say at GE, hey, client-facing is where it's at. If you're not in a client-facing role, um, they just weren't giving uh, a lot of credit to the execution side. And while I loved it, and that was what I was passionate about at the time, I kind of fell for the hype and decided to go after a client-facing marketing role. And I did that for two years, but I tell you what, the biggest lesson for me was at that point in time, stick with what you're really passionate about and what you love because I did not enjoy that that two-year experience I stuck it out and I learned a lot but I really really missed the execution side and um, working with the larger teams versus working kind of one-on-one -on -one, uh, with the client and so that was another lesson for me in my career I decided after two years to go back to the execution side and I went into a role that I probably was not qualified for but I really sold myself well, and I went into a technical side of marketing. Um, and this is where uh, we do our billing statements and the, the design and the architecture to pull that off is really, really complicated, but it was a, an amazing opportunity for me. It was during the CARD Act Reform uh, Act, and we had really high deliverables, and, and we were on a time crunch. Um, and so I that was a, a good opportunity for me to really rely on others to influence, but knowing that I couldn't do it by myself. Uh, that's where I really uh, connected with the IT department, the compliance department, the legal department. It took a village to accomplish what we needed to accomplish back in 2010. And it's two years of my life where I worked around the clock, uh, but we, we delivered. And uh, at that point in time, once the I delivered what I needed to deliver. I was shopping for a new opportunity. And I went back to marketing into a more governance and surveillance type of role. I did that for about four and a half years, loved building that out. Started with a team of about five. By the time I left, we had a team of 25 individuals that are focused on marketing, governance, and surveillance, which was my entry point then into compliance, okay? So I spent three years in compliance, and that is the fork in the road. That was when I realized, okay, I'm taking up a valuable seat. I, I did get my executive uh, rank in that position, and it was absolutely a good move for me in my career. However, at this point in time, I knew this was not my ultimate destination, and I needed to, to make a decision. Either I'm going to invest in the additional certifications that are required to continue my journey in compliance or I need to find another opportunity. So my options were, do I go back to marketing, right, where I know I was highly valued 
or do I stick stick this thing out here with compliance? And I had interviewed for three jobs during this period of time of as, as I'm searching for my next opportunity. And this was the first time in my career where I was told no. Hmm. And not only was I told no once, I was told no three times. The first opportunity that I went after was in, in, in operations, but it was more of a procurement job and one that I thought I could rationalize would be a great opportunity for me as I ventured into the next phase of my career. I didn't get the job and I know exactly why I didn't get the job. The, the person who got it was uh, really the traditional background for a, a chief procurement officer role tends to come from the finance background. Here I am, marketing and compliance background, trying to, to enter into this space. Sorry. And I didn't get it. Um, and then the next opportunity that I went after was within the sales organization. And again, uh, this was one where I wasn't going to go after it, but someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we want to see you compete for this. So I'm going with the tide, right? I'm going, following kind of this flow. I didn't get that job. Third opportunity was one, again, another really, really big job that someone tapped me and said, we want to see your name in the mix. And I go after it and the answer is no. Hmm. But what it did do was give me an opportunity to meet with my CEO, to meet with my CFO and to meet with others, start articulating what is it that Liz really once. And the path was so completely different from what I was interviewing for that even listening to myself, I realized I probably shouldn't have thrown my name in the, in the hat for this. So shortly thereafter, I was meeting with a, a mentor of mine and we we're talking about, okay, what's next? And he asked me uh, an interesting question. He said, well, what's the bullseye of your career? When you look back at re upon your retirement, when you look back, what is it that you are going to share as your, your greatest achievement? And I, I paused and I started to think about all of the work that I do with the Hispanic Network, all of the mentoring and coaching and the leadership and the conversations I have with folks one-on-one -on -one in terms of helping them develop. And I realized I am missing my calling. I need to be in the people business. And then I had to ask myself, what am I willing to do to make sure that, that, that I'm seen that way? Uh, by my leadership and that I'm afforded the opportunity that I, that I really want. I, that fall, uh, went and got SHRM certified, which is the Society of Human Resources Management, kind of test the waters to see if this is really something that, uh, what was right for me. Breeze through that. It wasn't, you know, uh, it, it was tough, but it was easier than I thought it was going to be for me, which kind of, kind of confirmed that, Maybe human resources is where I needed to be all along. And started to have some conversations with the chief human resources officer and some senior leaders in HR. And I said, if I were to go in this direction, if I were to take my career in this direction, do you see that for me? They all agreed. And so I started to put the pieces of the puzzle together and realize, you know what, when you follow your passion and when you follow your strengths, the universe responds. Yeah. And that's when I decided to get my master's in human resources as well. And you're going to graduate in 2020, I believe, with the master's I'm in human resources. I'm going to do it sooner. I'm, I'm, I'm going to double up and I'm going to finish up by October of this year. That is the wow. goal. 
That is the goal. Joseph, we talk a lot. Yeah, we talk a lot about decision making <clears throat> and when people come to these forks in the road and, and whatnot. And I always circle back to the question of, you know, how did you make this decision? Did you make it with your head or did you make it with your heart? And it seems like in your story, you, you sort of answered that. You, you had been using your head, like, you know, some sort yes. of cognitive process to make a square, uh, a square peg fit in a round hole. And it's when you started leading with your heart and when you started making decisions with your heart that it started to click for you. And that's when, as you say, the, the universe kind of used its inertia to assist you. Um, is, that, is that fair to say? 100%, 100%. As soon as I was true to myself and uh, was able to articulate to others why I'm so passionate about helping people grow in, in their careers, uh, attracting the right talent into the organization and how that excites me. Um, and that is when I think, you know, not only did the universe respond, but my leadership said, gosh, that, you're right. That is exactly the, the role that you need to be in. And oh, by the way, before you go to HR in this dream job of yours, we want you to make a step along the way. We want you to go lead a big, diverse site, a tremendous amount of responsibility. I mentioned earlier that my teams that I've ever led have been in the 20 to 25 people. Now I have two sites, hmm. uh, 800 people here in Altamont Springs and another uh, almost 300 people in Puerto Rico. That's a tremendous amount of responsibility and oh, sure. that my company has had in me, but that doesn't come without my own, right? Uh, sacrifice and saying, these are the things that I'm willing to do, right? I'm willing to go get certified. I'm willing to go get the, the education to support this type of investment that you're making in me with the idea that, you know, the direction that I'm going in is completely different from the track that I've been on. And getting people on board internally was important. Um, but also, uh, I had a, a, an opportunity to participate in an executive women's uh, dinner, networking dinner. And in that, I was kind of sharing this exact story. Someone listening said, I would love to introduce you to the chief diversity officer of ADP. Hmm. Said, okay, great. Little did I know, I get this meeting on the calendar with her. Little did I know that she doesn't normally do this. But because of the connection that we had, she, she went ahead and took 15 minutes of her time. I shared with her this story and this journey that I was on. And I said, at the end of it was my question, do you think that going in the direction of chief diversity officer or chief talent de uh, development is the next uh, logical step in my career? So long as I do the things that I said I'm going to do, right, which is get the, the training and the uh, education. And her response was, your company would be crazy not to make you that job offer. So now I had the internal validation and the external validation. And that, to me, confirmed that my heart and was really in the right place. And that so long as I stay true to that, the rest was going to take care of itself. But you're right. Up until that point in my career, I was trying to be as logical and follow these, these, these uh, breadcrumbs in terms of opportunities. I was trying to be the company girl. I was trying to be the, the person who you could plug in anywhere and everywhere and still be successful. But that was somebody else's story. <laughs> that, was, that was not mine. And now I am on my own journey and I'm, I'm, the, nar I'm the narrator of my story. Right.
I love that. And, and I think, and, and I, I haven't thought like in depth about it, but I think that that's kind of one of the key benefits of diversity in general is that so long we get stuck in these, you know, cognitive traps where we think this is the right way to do it because this is the way it's always been done and this is just how life works. Uh, and a, a big part of diversity is saying maybe, maybe there's a different way or maybe there's another way to approach it or maybe there's more of a, a heart than a head way to do it. And, and um, I think that a lot of companies really benefit from that, that approach. Yeah, I don't think that we talk about how love shows up in corporate America, right? And right, no, probably not. <laughs> we don't, we don't. In fact, I did yesterday, right? Uh, I went into a particular training session that was happening for uh, a population of, of my uh, specialists here. And the topic was um, critical conversations, right? Difficult conversations. Sure. And they asked me for a, an example of difficult conversations that um, I either have had or will have. So after sharing that, I said, look, so long as you come from a place of authenticity, care, and oh, by the way, love, when you're giving you know, tough uh, feedback or you're having a difficult conversation, the rest will take care of itself, right? Mm -hmm. And I, no matter how high up you go in the organization, those tough conversations are still tough. But what I ground myself in is, am I really genuine in my delivery and the message that I need to share with this person, no matter how hard it is, so long as I come from a place of, I care for this person and I you know, want them to benefit from this difficult conversation, the rest will take care of itself. I am not in control of their reaction. More often than not, they may not like what I have to say, but they come back and they are appreciative, right? And at some point in their career, they're going to thank the person who had that tough conversation with them, so long as it comes from a really, really good place. Yeah, that's that's so true, Liz. Uh, it's It's amazing when I go, when I think back on the you know, <clears throat> what you were inputting and what was coming out, your output just wasn't really aligned with the cosmos. And then when you decided to make that alignment, the input and output just, it brought you to where you're at today and uh, where you're going to be going. I, I, I mean, you met with the, the ADP individual, I mean, and she's not taking a lot of those meetings. So super impressive on what your journey is going to continue. We, we talk a lot about to entrepreneurs. And would you say that you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur in transition currently? I always look at things from an entrepreneur perspective. Uh, you know, I shared with you that, um, you know, my father is an entrepreneur. My mother's an entrepreneur. It was in my DNA. And I knew at some point in time in my life that I wanted to try it. And I did. And um, my ex-husband and I opened up a fitness center in late 2007, early 2008. Now I kept my day job. Thank goodness. Uh, but it was the worst time in probably to open up a fitness center. Uh, but it was an amazing experience. So we learned through failures. And, and I always draw upon that experience and, and, and don't, don't regret it at all. Uh, in fact, financially, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, we were made whole at the end, but what an amazing learning experience. Um, but what I did learn through that experience is to appreciate the stability of corporate America and, and the opportunities that I have here. And I decided I can be an entrepreneur here right? We're in the business of solving problems. And that's what many entrepreneurs do, right? They, they see a challenge, they see a problem, they want to try to solve for it, but they see an opportunity that they want to help solve in the world. Uh, and we get to do that every day. And so 
we, you know, whether it's introducing a new product into the market, which is uh, something that I'm working on right now, or another opportunity that I am extremely passionate about, which is expanding into the Hispanic market. It takes an entrepreneur mindset to, to see the opportunity and to create, uh, you know, buy-in from our senior leaders to say, this is a market that we should be in, and we should be in this market in a much bigger way than we are today. Um, and I'm helping to influence that. And this is not the first time I've done that in my career. There have been multiple times that I've been trying to push the Hispanic market opportunity, but you can't do that without an entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah, I, and I don't feel it's you're pushing it. You're 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 inviting it in and 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 yeah. make those around you realize the importance um, of it. Uh, Joseph and I know, and and Brent know all too well, just about how underserved the Absolutely. Hispanic community is when it comes to so many ideas, products, just everything. Um, and I love the fact. Um, that, that that's what you're introducing. Real quick, what what are you currently reading or listening to? What podcast or book would you recommend that uh, that you're kind of currently taking in right now? Yeah. So uh, there's a book that I have called The Four Agreements that I absolutely love. It's uh, written by Don Miguel Ruiz. And I'm going to share those four agreements with you. And I think they have so much applicability, both on a professional level as well as a personal level. In fact, I've shared this with all of the managers on my team. And so those four assumptions are don't take things personally, mm -hmm. be impeccable with your word, always do your best, and never make assumptions. So wow. powerful, both personally and professionally, that, uh, again, I have all my managers reading it, and, um, you know, it's just just a great, great read and a quick read as well. Now, another book that I'm reading is You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Uh, I think is great reading. And uh, one of the things that just kind of reminds you that, you know, there is this inner greatness in every single one of us. And um, we are, we get in the way of ourselves if, if, if we're not careful of um, blocking our greatness and blocking all that we're capable of doing. Wow. Um, speaking <laughs> on book number one, I'm going to have to go pick it up and read it now. Absolutely. Those four things that you just said right there are so simple, but we don't do them. I agree. I agree. And that when I, and the one for me that was the most powerful was not taking things personally. And it's something that we, I remind my folks all the time in business, you know, had I taken personally those no's, right? And in my career, I may have gotten discouraged. I may not have been sitting in the seat that I'm in today, uh, in the role that I'm in today. So, you know, we just can't take things personally. And uh, what other people say and do is on them, not necessarily on me. And so the sooner you can do that, the more liberated you can feel uh, in your life. Well, your story's been fascinating. And uh, the first first thought I had, your body language, your your voice picked up a little bit when you started talking about <laughs> uh, the role that you're in today. And I just pictured this uh, genie popping out of the bottle. <laughs> and I really did. And you basically answered the question I was going to ask you. You mentioned earlier, just ask. And that's so true. And whether you're an introvert or extrovert, uh, just ask. And you mentioned it, but as you, as you coach leaders, I mean, you, you asked a number of times for some pretty important out-of-the-body out probably experiences, maybe where you didn't think you're qualified, but you just asked. 
So you said it, don't take it personally, but any other advice that you would give any of the folks on your team about uh, just ask? Yeah, I think the first thing you have to be is self-aware, right? What is it that you're willing to do personally before you make the ask? Because uh, many times the ask for me was yes, right? I told you that later in my career is when I was told no, which is going to be more typical as you progress uh, in the organization. But the times that I've gotten the yeses, I then had to deliver. So make sure that you know personally what you're willing to do, what you're capable of doing and uh, before you make the ask. And then when you make the ask, you need to deliver. And if that means working around the clock, if that means studying, if that means being a student of your business, or whatever it takes, if you're given that opportunity, you need to deliver. And so uh, I, I, I tell folks all the time, Make sure you're so self-aware about what you're willing and able and capable of doing, and then show up and deliver uh, because that's how you're going to get that next opportunity uh, when, you, when you create this track record of success, right? And a track record of having a, or having a brand that is someone who is you know, going to deliver on their promises. So their say-do ratio has to be really high. Hmm. That's a great yeah. one. That's uh, that was a great question and an unbelievable response, Liz. Um, again, it was it was such a pleasure, and I knew what we were going to get was going to be great. But just the stuff that I'm going to take away from this and the the books that now I want to go read, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And again, thank you for your time. I know the listeners yeah. out there are going to to love this. So. Appreciate the time. Again, my name is Brandon Straza, also known as The Real Naked Agent, along with Dr. Joseph Kay and Brent Duhame. And we've got Liz Biz at Synchrony. Liz, <laughs> thank you. One last piece of advice that you want to give anyone out there? You know, just dream big. Uh, you know, I heard that so many years ago, and uh, I've challenged myself to really dream big, and I challenge others to dream big, and you're only as limited as, as, uh, as, you limit yourself in terms of uh, your potential. And so well, the other thing I would say is this is not a dress rehearsal. This is our life, right? So take, take destiny into your own hands and, and go dream big. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Appreciate it, Liz. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. You've been listening to Breaking Business Barriers. For more information, or if you have a compelling story to tell, find us on Facebook at Open Media Source. <laughs>